Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Opening Bibles to James chapter 3. And as you can see today, I don't have my hat on. James chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 16, James chapter 3, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. On Wednesday nights this summer, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of James. A verse-by-verse study of the book of James. So we're going to do some slight review. This is part 9 of the series. So chapter 3, verse 16, actually back up to verse 15. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We said before that wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. The wisdom we're speaking of here is the philosophy by which you guide your life and make your daily decisions. This wisdom is the philosophy by which you guide your life and make your decisions. So we highlighted the last time I was here on Wednesday what this wisdom does. We said this wisdom, the devilish, the earthly, the sensual wisdom, causes bitter jealousy, strife, and contention. We said you can identify what wisdom you are operating by, by its results. Matthew 11, 19 says wisdom is justified by its children. So wisdom is known, shown, and vindicated by its value, by what it produces. So if you operate in this devilish, sensual, earthly wisdom, you will open your life to confusion, which is unrest, disharmony, rebellion, tumult, and unquietness, and every evil work. Now, picking up with verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So now he's going to differentiate the two types of wisdom. We saw a few weeks ago that Psalm 111.10 said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. So the wisdom from above is founded in reverence for God, who he is, his position in your life, and his will. And James says it's first pure It's innocent. But then it also says that it's peaceable. The New Living Translation says it's peace-loving. The Amplified Version says it's considerate. So notice there are some people who think they are smart and are rude. They think because they know so much, they can treat people however they want to treat them. So there's two different types of wisdom. But this wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then next it is peace-loving, it's considerate. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated, which means it's willing to yield to others. It's reasonable. It's willing to listen. There's a lot of people who think they know everything, and they're not willing to listen to anybody. They are wise in their own eyes, and they're heading towards destruction. So the wisdom that comes from God, if you're wise in that wisdom, you are easy to be entreated. You're willing to listen to others. You're willing to yield and let others have a say. 
It's full of mercy, full of compassion. It's full of good fruits. It's full of the fruits of the Spirit and fruit of the actions of faith, which we studied in the previous chapters of James. It's without partiality. It doesn't play favorites. It's impartial. It's without hypocrisy, which means it's sincere. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The New Living Translation says it this way, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Who are those who plant seeds of peace? Those who live by the wisdom that comes from above. The Amplified Version says, they make peace by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. So instead of stirring people up and stirring up strife and setting people up to fight against each other, they're actively trying to get people to walk in peace towards each other and walk in goodwill towards each other. So those who live by this wisdom are peacemakers, not strife makers. Those who live by this wisdom are peacemakers, not strife makers. Wisdom is vindicated by its results. The life you lead today, does it lead to more peace or does it lead to strife? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. New Living Translation says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. The message version says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. The Amplified verses, blessed, spiritually calm with life, joy, and God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace. For they will express his character and be called the sons of God. Let's move on to chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember, man added the chapters, not the Holy Ghost. So he's still on the same subject. We've talked about strife. We talked about the wisdom from hell, the wisdom from heaven. We talked about peace. So then he says, to remember we talked about on the first part of the series, he's writing to a Jewish audience that has turned to Jesus. So he's not talking in this section to heathen. He's talking to believers who were scattered, first because of their disobedience, but he's talking to believers. So he says, from whence comes wars and fighting? That word fighting means controversies and strife. So where does the wars and the controversies and the strife come from among you? Come they hence not even of your own lust. That word lust means it comes from your fleshly nature. That war in your members, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. So he says, you're doing all these fleshly things, and he still can't get what you want. But then it keeps going. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your fleshly lust. So this is what he's saying. So you're doing all the wrong things and still can't get what you want. But now he says, well, let me ask in faith. You still can't get it because you're in strife and operating by the wrong wisdom. Maybe your prayers aren't being answered because you're living by the wrong life philosophy. So you ask and you ask amiss and he won't receive. Notice what he says next to church people. Christians, believers. Remember James, this is Jesus' little brother. 
You adulterers and adulteresses. So he's not just talking to me, he's talking to both of y'all, all y'all. Know you not that friendship of the world, not talking about people, talking about the world's systems, the world's way of doing things, is enmity with God, it's hostility and hatred toward God. Now, what is friendship with the world? Living by the wisdom that comes from hell. Walking in strife. Trying to do whatever you can do to get what you want and violating the law of love. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He's not talking to heathens. He's not talking about people who have rejected God. He's talking to people in church. He says, if you keep living this way, you're going to be an enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy or desires? Now, the thing is, people think, people make decisions because the devil made them do it. Oh, yep, they are living this way because the devil made them do it. Keep a finger here and go to Galatians 5. Because these people he's writing to are in strife, acting in the flesh, fighting amongst each other, living by the wrong wisdom. We already know that they're treating some people better than others based on their economic standing. Galatians 5, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. Now, when it talks about the spirit here, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. There's no capitals in the Greek text here. So by the text, you have to determine, is it talking about the Holy Spirit or the human spirit? And verse 17 is talking about the human spirit. So your flesh is fighting against your human spirit. They want two separate things. And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, just like we saw in James. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He did not see these are what demons make you do. So these are the works of the flesh talking to church people. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. That word witchcraft comes from the Greek word pharmakia. It's talking about doing drugs. What are you doing? Stop smoking weed. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness. That word drunkenness is one of the root words where we get meth from. So tell us church people, stop doing meth. Revelings and such like, of which I tell you before, as I told you, those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So living by this wisdom is not, the devil does not make you do those things. You are bad all by yourself. You can do it without Satan's help. Now what happens if you stay doing those things long enough, you will open yourselves up for hell to entertain you with spirits that back those things. We'll talk about that more next month when we teach on spiritual warfare. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Dwelling by and living by the wisdom of heaven produces the fruit of the Spirit. 
Living by the wisdom of earth produces the works of the flesh. So you don't have an excuse that says, the devil made me do it. You can only say that if you're possessed. That's the only time you can actually say the devil made me do something. But it's impossible for a believer to be possessed. What it means to be possessed means there's a demon in your spirit. Now, if you are born again, that means the Holy Ghost moved on the inside of you and became one with your spirit. The Holy Ghost does not have roommates. Half your spirit doesn't have the Holy Ghost and the other half a devil. There's only one on the inside. Now, so believers cannot be possessed. They can be oppressed. They can be obsessed. They can be depressed. And those are devils working on their soulish world. There can even be cases of sickness where demons latch onto organs or parts of the body. But that's not possession. So the only time you can say, the devil made me do it, is if you're possessed, that means you're not a believer. So what do we do? We cast the devil out and get you saved. So Satan can't make you do anything. You have the power of choice. Your choice is stronger than the devil. When you were a sinner, your choice was stronger than the devil. Do you remember in the book of Genesis, actually let's turn there, go to Genesis chapter 5, I believe. It's either Genesis chapter 4 or chapter 5. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. This is God talking to Cain. He's a sinner. Jesus hasn't come. There's no bloodshed. He doesn't have the Holy Ghost. He is a fallen being. And the Lord said unto Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. Wait a minute. What did he tell this sinner? You don't have to sin. You can make a choice not to do what you are doing. Think about it this way. There could have been some things you wanted to do when you were in the world. But you might have been too tired, so you didn't go do it. You chose sleep over whatever that sin that was entertaining to you. Your choice was powerful enough when you were a sinner to defeat hell. How much more powerful is it now that you're born again and got the Holy Ghost? Go back to, so James, verse 4. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Why would he use this phrase? Remember, he is a Jewish author writing to a mainly Jewish audience. At this time, there's no recorded evidence of any Gentiles being born again yet. Remember, this is the first book of the New Testament written. So he is using a phrase that brings up Jewish history. So go to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. One of the things you see in this part of chapter 2, it talks about the cycle the children of Israel were in after Joshua had died. And it says, yet they were not hearkening to the judges. Who were the judges? These were people that God would rise up to deliver the people from whatever distress they were in. They were in bondage. They were in distress because they sinned and turned away from God. 
So while they were in sin, turning away from God, years and decades would go by. They finally cry out to God, God help us, God deliver us. God would raise up somebody to deliver them. Then for a generation, they would serve God. And then after that judge died, they started doing what they did before. And they would be in trouble again. So yet they would not hearken to the judges, but went a whoring after other gods. And bowed themselves unto them, and they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not do so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. For I repented the Lord by their groaning, groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, and following other gods to serve them, to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. So he said the children of Israel were acting like hoes. So God said, y'all are a bunch of thoughts. And how did he define that? By following me one moment and following someone else the next moment and playing back and forth. So what is James saying? You're acting just like the children of Israel. You are cheating on me. You are that hoe over there. Go back to James 4. So you might say, well, I'm not bowing down to another god. I don't have a gold statue somewhere. I'm not following Baal. But notice it also said their stubborn way. Whenever you are doing your own way, you're saying, I know better than God. So you might put yourself on the throne of your life. Or because you want someone else to like you so much, you do what they expect, what they want, so they're the God of your life, so you're bowing down to them. Or you know you shouldn't shack up with someone, you shouldn't sleep with someone, but you're afraid of being alone, so you do that and put sex there. Or it's like, well, I, I know I should do these things, but maybe God won't mind if I just do these things. So what are you doing? You're bowing down to other gods. You are cheating on God. You are playing the whore. Not talking to heathens, talking to church people. But, verse 6, he gives more grace. See, it finally got positive for a second in that chapter. That chapter was looking really bleak. But what is the grace for? So you don't have to be a whore. See, it rhymed. Look, that's holy, spiritual, it rhymed. God gives you supernatural ability so you don't have to sin. Grace is not your credit card so you can sin as much as you want. Grace gives you freedom from sin and the ability not to sin. So he says he gives more grace. So it doesn't matter how tough it gets, how bad it gets, he gives more grace. His divine influence upon the heart is the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. He hasn't changed subjects. Those who live by the wisdom of earth, not only are they strife-filled people, they are proud people. Because they're saying, I know better than God. They don't turn from their stubborn way, and they do things their own way. 
And what does it say here? God resists or is in opposition to the proud. I never want to be in a position where God has to fight me because I would lose and lose quick. None of us was that old saying, your arms are too short to box with God. Because they're asking God for stuff, but they're not receiving. It's because they put themselves in opposition to God. So instead of, if they're asking for God, if God gives it to them, it's just going to support their resistance. So while they're out there withering because they're not abiding, as we talked about from John 15, they're not connected. They're wondering, so, oh, this faith stuff's not working. No, they're not doing what God told them to do. So maybe things haven't shown up because you put yourself in opposition to God. And if he grants what you're asking for, it aids your rebellion. It aids your resistance. It aids your wrong lifestyle. Then what does he say? He gives grace unto the humble. What is the humble? Those who yield to God's way and word. Humility is yielding to God's way and God's word. It's not going after your stubborn way. It's living by the wisdom of heaven and saying, God knows better than I know. So even though I want to do this, even though my flesh wants to do this, the wisdom of God tells me to walk in love. The wisdom of God tells me to forgive. The wisdom of God tells me to do this. So I'm going to do what God says because I'm saying he knows best. I am not going to be the God of my life. I'm going to give that position to the one who's worthy. And I'm going to do what he says. Being humble means you have an honest view about yourself and what God has done for you. You have an honest view about yourself and what God has done for you. Because you can think about all the good things going on in your life. Think, well, it's because I'm smart. Because I did this. Because I did that. Everything is because God gave you grace. Every good thing in your life came from him. Every bad thing came from you. So if it came from God, give him the glory. And don't get full of yourself. Because when you begin to believe your own hype, you're heading for destruction. It's like Absalom. I preached on him last year. People talked about how beautiful Absalom was. It was the national conversation. They talked about how beautiful his hair was. This is before they had man weave. He had hair that everybody liked. It was a national festival. Every year they would weigh his hair. That's what they would celebrate. So he began to believe his own hype. And he began to become proud. He's the son of David. You got to think if anybody has some reason to go, hey, I got a family. I'm the son of King David. He killed a giant when he was a teenager. Imagine what I can do. So he began to believe his own hype. People would celebrate him. He didn't like how David ran things. And so people would come to see David to ask questions. He says, hey, you know, the king's too busy for you, but you know what? I love you. And so what he would do is people would come to pay reverence. He said, don't bow. I'm one of you. He would take them up and hug them in his arms. And he would plant seeds in their heart. I should be your king. And this went on for time to the whole nation turned after him. Because he got so full of himself, believed his own hype. Especially about his own hair. So he leads a rebellion against David. David runs from his life, for his life. Long story short, war breaks out. 
people are fighting. They flee before David's army. And they run into the woods, a place they never would have been if they never followed Absalom. And I said, more people died in the woods that day than died in battle. Because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time because they followed the way of pride. And Absalom was fleeing. But as he was running, a branch in the woods caught his hair. And he suspended from the earth by his hair. And someone comes with a javelin and spears him through. So what was the source of his pride eventually killed him? Don't let your pride kill you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God is what he says next. Why? He'll lift you up. Because he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does submit to God? Do what he says. Because Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist. Tell the devil no. So even if it's not your flesh leading you this way, maybe Satan sends temptation your way because he will tempt you. He's the tempter. Tell him no. Your no will make him run. Well, how long do I tell him no? Till he leaves. Don't say, well, I resisted for five seconds. That's good. Build some endurance. Because just because he comes once does not mean his attack is done. So you resist until he flees. You don't run from Satan. He's supposed to run from you. You know, as an old song says, I beat the devil running, I was so glad. Satan should not make you a track star. You should resist until he runs. He's not in your class. Stop letting, get magnifying the devil. Because we say, oh, the devil's been busy. He's always busy. But that doesn't mean he's better than you or greater than you or stronger than you. Why? The greater one's in you. He's greater than he that is in the world. So that makes you greater by association alone. So if you resist, Satan has to run. It's like what Bishop said a couple weeks ago. Well, how long do I have to stand in faith? One day longer than the devil. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Wait a minute. I thought God lives on the inside of me. Yeah, he does. So how can I get closer to somebody who lives on the inside of me? It's not talking about position. It's talking about relationship. You can get closer to God. And every time you take a step getting closer to God, he meets you where you are. This is a progressive relationship. None of us have seen the depths of his glory, his grace, or his love. There are realms of the spirit yet untapped because we haven't drawn in. The more you draw in, the more you see of him in his relationship. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So stop doing what you're doing. Change your heart. Remember he talked about double-minded man earlier is unstable in all his ways. Be single-minded on the word and God's wisdom for your life.
Remember, he's talking to these people who've been full of strife, cheating on God, doing all these things. So now he's telling them what they need to do. Be afflicted. That phrase means realize your own misery. Realize the situation you put yourself in. Realize the circumstance you put yourself in. Stop propping it up and pretending like everything's okay. Stop believing your own Facebook post. Because you know everything on social media ain't real. But so many people believe their own posts. They believe their own snaps. They believe their own Instagram. So they think everything is right because so many people liked what I posted. So he's saying, realize the true state you are in. When he says, weep and mourn, what is he talking about? Repent. It goes back to the old Jewish days where they would rend their garments and begin to cry and repent because they realized I've screwed up my life. And the only way it'll be fixed is if God intervenes. So that's what he's telling them, repent, turn, stop living this way. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. He's telling them, you don't got time to laugh and think this is funny. You got to get some stuff right right now. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judges another? So he's saying, stop judging people. Start talking all about people. You have no room to judge somebody else. The Bible says you can judge their fruits, but he didn't say judge people. Jesus even said, I didn't come to judge anybody. I came to save the world. Because at the last day, my word will judge them, but I came to save. Stop judging people because they sin differently than you did. Because there's only one sin that sends people to hell, and it's rejecting Jesus. So stop being surprised when sinners sin. That's what they do. What happens when a believer makes a mistake? Forgive them. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean it pretends it doesn't happen. It's like, I'm not going to judge you for this. I'm going to help you. Then it talks about if you you see a brother fall, you who are spiritual, restore him. Don't talk about him. Restore him. And then Paul adds that uh, that warning, be careful if you're talking about him because you're going to fall into the same sin. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year. Buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Now, a lot of times people take that scripture out of context and say, well, my life is just a vapor. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. Vapor, it has no lasting significance. If a vapor is here for a second, it has no lasting change. But remember the context who he's talking to. 
The people who live by earthly wisdom, the people who are full of strife, the people who are proud, the people who cheat on God, the people that are not repenting and turning from God, their life is here for a little time and vanishes away. Eventually, everything they do will come to nothing. The life of the believer has substance and has everlasting ramifications. So if you're living by the wisdom that comes from heaven, if you're living by the law of love and by the word of God, your life is not a vapor. Your life has significance. It has weightiness. But if you live by the wisdom of hell, your life has no weight and it's going to be gone. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Is he talking about believers boasting in the goodness of God? No, he's talking about believers who aren't living by God, boasting about all the stuff they can do. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. He says, you're not even serving God, you have no room to boast. All that boasting you're doing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not to him, it is sin. He's talking to these people. You know what to do, but you don't do it, so it's sin. So it's not just you're sinning. You know now what to do right, so now you've added another sin to your already pile of sin. Then when he get to chapter 5, which we'll get into next week, he begins to prophesy and talks about the wicked rich. He's dealt with believers who are not living right. Actually, I got some time, so we'll get into it. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are mouth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the higher the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you, kept back by fraud, cries. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered to the ears of the Lord of the Lord of hosts. So he's talking to these heathens by the spirit of prophecy. And he says, you have heaped treasure together for the last days, and the way you got it is because you robbed people who worked for it. They began to work for you, and you promised them this, but you kept that money, and you kept it for yourself. And says, their prayer came into the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. This is how you know he's talking to wicked unbelievers. Because remember, when you read the earlier chapters, he is talking about believers who are under oppression. And you see those who are oppressing them in this circumstance, in this book, are wicked people who have money. They use their money to pervert justice and cause injustice to come on God's people. So he begins to address them again by the Holy Ghost. So then he addresses now the people of God. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth 
and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. So something else. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So he talks about two things God's going to do. They're both connected to the outpouring of his spirit, which is the former and the latter rain. The outpouring of the Spirit is going to bring two harvests in, James is talking about. One is going to be a harvest of souls that God has been waiting for, people who will turn to God. Before it's all said and done, there are billions of people who are coming to Jesus. Before the rapture and after the rapture. So he's been waiting with long patience for the greatest harvest of people to come into the kingdom of God. But then there's also another harvest. It's those uh, wicked people have gathered up money for the last days. Now, why would rich men begin to weep and begin to howl? It's because all their money is gone. They've stolen for years. They've stolen for decades. They think they've got it made. But as we talked about in June, that God will take the silver and the clothes from the wicked and give it to those who are good in his sights. It is that the, what Proverbs says, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, and the Amplified says it eventually finds its way to the hands of the just. So he's talking to the people who've been living by the wisdom of heaven, living by the wisdom that comes from above, by walking in love, living by the word, doing what he says. Those who have been following him, he says, your payday is coming. Your payday has arrived. I will reward you. I will restore you by my spirit. I will take what they stole and I'll give it to you. So he's not telling you to get revenge. He says, vengeance is mine. I got it. That's the difference of the wisdom of those who live by the wisdom of hell and the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom of hell, you may gather a lot, but you will lose it all. The wisdom of heaven, people may try to resist you. They may try to oppose you. They may do things to you. But the wisdom of heaven reminds you God's got your back. Humble yourself. He will lift you up. He'll give you more grace. He's got you. The wisdom from heaven comes with a guarantee. God's got my back. I'm not in this by myself. I'm not just a sheep out there that's about to be devoured by wolves. So what the Bible calls a sheep, and he sends a sheep in the midst of wolves, yes, but you got a shepherd. And he's got a staff. One of the purposes of that staff, yes, is to protect the sheep, but it was to bop wolves over the head. So don't be afraid because a wolf showed up. Just said, you need to look at the guy behind me. That staff can take you out. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not lack. So believe in your shepherd today. Follow his wisdom. Follow his leading. Follow his guidance. And everything shall be all right. Not okay. God's going to make all right. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the anointed word. We thank you for the leading and the teaching of your spirit. We thank you that gratitude opens up to receive more from you. We're so thankful for your word tonight. Help us be not just hearers, but doers of the word that was taught to us tonight. In Jesus' name. I'm going to put your hands down, every head bow, every eye close in prayer. No, I'm moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. Every head bow, every eye close in prayer.
I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, You raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with Your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.